Good morning, everybody. Everybody good this morning? Good, good, good. Everybody's good and awake. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm barely awake. I, um, we had a men's retreat this weekend. I'm not sure if you've heard that already or not, but uh, we had a lot of fun. Uh, if you're a dude in here and um, you weren't there, check us out. Next year you'll have a good time, I promise. Um, the Lord's doing a lot of cool work in the life of, uh, of this church, but also in the life of our men. Uh, we were challenged um, to lead our homes, to lead our families, to leave a legacy, to learn how to understand that our lives far extend our existence on this earth. What we leave on this earth is going to surpass our time here. And so our heart is that we would be a church that leads uh, into the future. And so if you're new here, my name is Michael Page. I'm the lead pastor here at Connection Church. Rinkin. Um, we're excited about all that God's done, all that he is continuing to do, um, what he's building. There seems to be this momentum happening in the body, and I love to see what's going on. And so uh, today we're going to be in a, our, our second week of a series called City on a Hill. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, I hope you do, uh, go ahead and turn to Acts 13. Uh, we're going to be in uh, Acts chapter 13 and 14 today. Uh, we're going to do kind of a, a survey of those two chapters, kind of looking at some details that uh, God wants to show us through. Uh, these verses, but our goal in this series, uh, City on a Hill, has been to give us a unified and healthy picture of what God has called his church to be, but also what he's called his church to do, right? Uh, and so I, I think the big reason, if it's your first time here, maybe you don't know the whole story about all that God's done and is doing, um, the reason why we're doing this series at this time is because um, over the past few months, we've basically tripled in size uh, as a church, and it's been cool to watch but the one thing, yeah, they give God glory, right? But the one thing that we, we've seen and one thing I've learned as a church planner, a pastor, um, is that culture, it drifts and vision, it leaks. And so bringing people back to center, hey, remember, remember who we are, remember what we're called to do. We have to continuously do that because I think one of the jobs of a pastor is a, is a coach, right? Come on, get in the game. We can do this, right? Getting people fired up for what God's doing. And so that's our goal. And so we want to present this unified picture of what God has called his church to be our common purpose, right? And so that's why we're doing this. And so the thing, because the reason why that I feel like the Lord led us here is because the church, not sure if you're like me, but the church sometimes forgets that in our faith, our faith is more about who we are than instead of what we're doing, right? And I, and I want us to remember and cling to that this morning. Your faith in Christ is more about your identity in Christ than what you're doing for Christ. Right, we, we're going to start from there today. You're going to hear threads of that throughout this this sermon today. But like, what you do should flow out of who you are, and that's why a lot of times we get burned out, we get tired because we're trying to force it. And our heart today is that we would know who we are. We saw last week that God sent Jesus. Last week we we asked the question, "What is the church?" We saw last week that God sent Jesus to redeem for Himself a people. He, he sent him to redeem, to buy back a people for himself and for his glory, which means life is not about you, but about Jesus, right? Him being glorified. So our goal should be to look at scripture and see God's original plan, his original intention, and then we should lock arms together, be unified after the mission our Father has created for us, right? That's why division in the church makes zero sense. When you add, when you add sin into it, it makes perfect sense, but Right, but division in the church makes zero sense. And so today, what I want you to see, last week we defined the church, what the church is and what its purpose is. We said the church is a community of people formed by the gospel 
for the mission of God. Very simple. The church is a community of people that's formed by the gospel for the mission of God. So remember, we said that God's plan for the church is not separated from his original plans at creation. Remember, we put up God's story on there. We saw creation all the way to restoration. We saw how God was working to see his glory go to all nations from the covenants to the, to, you see, the judges. And we saw the good and the bad kings. We saw Abraham, Moses, and Noah, and David. And we saw the prophets. And then we saw redemption. We saw Jesus come to fulfill all those things. And a lot of times we're like, where do we fit in? Well, we fit into that redemption age where the church is called to be the hands and feet of Jesus to see God's glory go to all nations and all men will be able to worship and declare Jesus for who he is and that's our king. And so this morning, we're going to answer the question, what's the role of the church in the world? Last week we said, hey, what's the church? I want to have a clear understanding of that. This week we're going to look at what is the role of that community of believers formed by the gospel for the mission of God? What's the role of that body of people in our world today? But for us to see that happen, for us to understand these things, I want you to see Last week we said our goal as Christ followers, if you say, hey, Michael, I'm a Christ follower, I follow Jesus, I'm a Christian, a Christ follower should, our goal should be that one day all peoples, all nations in all the world will believe the gospel of God and revere the glory of God. That should be our goal, period. But for us to see that happen, you and me, us together, if you say, hey, I'm a Christian, this doesn't exclude people who might just be on the fringes, I believe in Christ. If you have any association with Jesus whatsoever, this is your role. But for us to see that happen, the church is going to have to be unified around God's mission like we've never seen before in our lifetime. And that means individually, you, me, us, together, we're going to have to go all in and say, Jesus, your glory and your mission are more important to me than anything else in my life. Quick inventory this morning, no matter where you may be. I don't care if you don't even want to be here this morning. I was just, I was drunk here by my wife. I, that's fine. I'm glad you're here. Is your life lived for the glory of God and the declaration of his praise around, around the world? There's a lot of people here who say, no. I just showed up this morning. I sing the song. I listen to the sermon. And I go home. That's what I do. That's, my, that's, that's the extent of my relationship with Jesus. This morning, I pray that you would hear everything we talk about with a heart of grace and love and openness. Last week, we said that we, we asked the question, have you truly submitted your life to the mission of God? That means your time, your treasure, your money, your talent, the gifts God's given you are being used in unison together with the church, the body of Christ, to see the great commission fulfilled in the, land, in the world. And that's, that's sort of the summary for today's sermon. Like, the purpose of the church is great commission fulfillment. The purpose of the church is great commission fulfillment. Period. That's all, that's it. Like, there's that. And so today I want to put some feet on that statement and show you from Scripture what God has called us to do as His church and how, how Connection Church Rinkin plans to fulfill our portion of the great commission. Okay? And it's going to take every member working together in unison to see that happen. There's nobody in this room that's, that's exempt from this. And so let me pray for us. As I pray, let's get our hearts right before the Lord and just ask him to, to meet with us and, and teach us and, and to deal with us gently. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this day. We thank you for who you are, for what you've done through the gospel. We thank you for loving us like you do. We thank you for having grace on us. God, we need so much grace. God, it's hard to believe the amount of grace that we need, that we don't deserve, that you give us. 
God, I pray that you would just come and be with us as we meet, as we gather around your word. God, I pray the word would just read us. God, that you would convict us. You would lead us into um, to places that you want us, God, that you would show us uh, places of our hearts that may be cold or hard, God, or numb. God, that you would breathe life into those places this morning. God, I pray our spirits would come alive this morning. As a church, we would be about your business, about your mission, about your kingdom coming on earth. God, we love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, cool. Quick clarifying question this morning. Uh, I have something up here. Uh, this, is a, uh, this is a jigsaw puzzle. You got any jigsaw puzzle lovers in the house? Okay, so what we're going to do, I'm going to give this to you, and you're going to put this together before I'm done with my sermon, okay? I'm just kidding. I'm just, I'm just, just, I'm just kidding. If you do it, then you can... I'm just playing. We're not doing that. So jigsaw puzzles, I, I, I like them, but I'm, I'm not like a, a fanatic, right? Um, but, but jigsaw puzzles has always been uh, testing my patience because I'm not the most patient person. I need to move on to the next thing, right? I need to move on because it takes too long. So I was thinking about a jigsaw puzzle, and I was thinking about doing a jigsaw puzzle, right? This one is uh, Christina Lawson, so if it's nerdy, it's her fault. Okay, so this is, says the 80s on it, right? There's a lot of pictures on here. I'm looking at this. It gives me stress. Like, how do I get Ronald Reagan's, like, shadow around? And that's crazy, bro. There's, like, how many pieces? Like, 10,000? Like, 1,000 pieces. <laughs> so not quite 10,000. So, but a lot of you guys in here can look at this and say, yeah, I got that. I'm way smarter than the pastor. I got this. We can do this. I could probably finish it before the sermon's over. Good for you. But let me tell you. Let me ask you this. So what if I gave you this puzzle and I said... Let's, let's cover this up. I'm going to just give you all the thousand pieces, and I want you to put them together without looking at the front. How would you be able to do then? Yeah. <laughs> See? It's not, that, it's not that easy. So think about that for a minute. I, I thought about this. My son loves Legos. Anybody love Legos in here? Yeah. I like Legos. Fun, fun times, right? My, uh, my son loves them. He's way better than me, and he's four. His motor skills are, like, far beyond his age, right? And so he, he gets these, I mean, he's young. He's, he gets the six plus Lego sets. So there's like 75 pieces in there. If you threw the box away and just gave him the Lego pieces, I'm convinced he could do it. Me, I'm like, these are, I don't, what, I can make like a house or like a something, right? But I can't make what it was created to, to be. I can't make the thing that the box was created to, to, to contain, right? So I think about what that looks like. I think about the mission of God, and I think that's how the church has kind of come about the mission of God. What's happened in, in this world, what I see is that I get this puzzle piece to God. I, do, I get the Legos, and, I, and, if I, and if I put it together enough while looking at the box, maybe out of repetition, I could do it without looking at the box eventually, right? But like, not at first. And so what's happened today, we're going to be talking about why the church exists. And many of you grew up in the church. Anybody grew up in the church in here? A few of us? A few, well, less than it used to be, right? Glad you're here. But many of you grew up in church. And us talking about this, you're like, I hope that nobody asks me any intrusive questions because I don't know a lot, but I've been here my whole life. Right? You're in a, you're in a great spot. Okay? You're in a great This is safe. We love you. Grace and all that stuff is, is in this house. But many of you grew up in church and you have no clue why the church exists. You're like, we go to church, we sing some songs, we, eat, we, we, we read the Bible, we eat some food, we go home, take a nap, and I go to work on Monday. And that's kind of the extent of your knowledge of why 
We exist as a church. So, but my question is like, think about, do you understand why we gather and sing? Why we gather together, why we hear sermons, why we hear teachings, why we meet in homes and connect groups. Do you understand why we have these things together? Do we know why this exists? And many of us this morning have a very dysfunctional view of the church. The pastor just wants money. They always talk about service. They just want to uh, name it, right? And I think about this many times, like this dysfunctional view of the church. And I'm like, man, have some grace. I was writing this sermon this week and like, God was like, have grace. I was like, all right. Okay. But maybe it's just how you've always been taught. Maybe it's just, this is what you were taught the church was supposed to be. And so you just were like, okay, this is what the church is supposed to do this. Maybe you've never gone to scripture. And said, God, what is the church supposed to be? Well, let me read. And then obey what you read in Scripture. I, I know I've touched on some nerves this morning because I've touched on my own. But many, many Christians think that the church is something they do and have never understood their new identity. That 2 Corinthians 5, 17 identity as the church, the ecclesia that we talked about last week. You're a group of people called out, sent out, or, and gathered around a mission. Right? And I'm reading the Bible, and then that makes sense. But then I look at how I was raised in the church, and that doesn't make sense. But when I read this and I preach this, I'm like, this fits together. Now, how do I live my life like this, right? And so the ecclesia, and so I think about the culture of the church, the big C church around this area, around the south, the Bible Belt, right? Many people, they'll, they'll leave a church in a heartbeat. I just ain't being fed, Right? Well, I always ask the question when somebody says, I'm not being fed. I'm saying, well, have you picked up a fork? Right? Have you, have you invested in the body? Right? Maybe, may, maybe you, oh, well, they, they, I was hurt at that church. Well, can I tell you this morning, you're healed in the same places you're hurt in the body of Christ. What the church has lost is the ability to reconcile in a biblical and God-like manner. And so we run from it. Maybe you say, hey, I, it just wasn't a good fit for my family. Maybe it wasn't about you. Maybe God needed to use your family to bring something to the church that wasn't there. You know what I mean? And so the church, what we said, what we saw last week, we solidified our identity by looking at Scripture. It's the ecclesia, the gathering of called out people around a specific mission. We said last week the church is a community of people formed by the gospel for the mission of God. So what the gospel, the gospel, if you're a Christian... A true believer has saving faith. The gospel has changed us and equipped us for the mission. So when I get saved, when you get saved, we don't just get saved and then come find our preferred seat in the auditorium and make sure we warm it until we're in a casket. That's not what we're called to do. That is not the church. That's what you call a country club. No, we, we put our hands to the plow and we link arms with other Christ followers, young and old, and we go to work for King Jesus. We say, Jesus, what do you want from me? Let me read the Bible. Okay, what it says this, make disciples of all nations. I'm going to do that. Okay, I'm going to follow him. How did Jesus love? Well, he loved sacrificially. Well, I'm going to love sacrificially. Right? I'm going to do what Christ did. So when Jesus died on the cross, here, please hear this. When Jesus died on the cross, he defeated sin. Right? Sin has no more power on a Christian. 
You may live in it. You may walk in it, but it has no power over it. You can say no. When he rose from the grave, guess what? He defeated your worst enemy, which is death. You may have a minor inconvenience of death at the end of your life, but you wake up to eternity with our Father. Isn't that great? So in doing this, the gospel, he has freed you and he's freed me from sin and death. But not only that, he gave us a mission as the church. The reason we exist, so to speak. So if the reason that you exist was just to be saved, just to come and sit, listen to some beautiful worship music, to hear a sermon, to go on a mission trip every now and then, take some pictures, put on your Instagram, whatever you may do, like you're missing the boat and you're missing blessings that God meant for you. And I'm going to tell you this morning, I, this is the heart. So before, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he, he left his disciples with a, a commission, a mission, right? A, the great commission. We're going to read this today, but we're going to read it a little bit differently. Is that okay? We're going to read it like it was written in the Greek. Matthew 18 to, 18, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, it says this. Jesus came near and said to them, and so I want to stop right there because I love the Bible. I like reading the details. I'm thinking about the coach. You know, I used to coach a little league baseball team. I coached them from the time they were eight to the time they were 14. And when they were eight years old, I treated them a little bit differently than when they were 14. When they were eight years old, I was like, oh, you struck out. It's okay. When they were 14, I'm like, get in the dugout. You know what I mean? But like, but when, I, when, it was, when we were done with the game, what, it, what does coaches do at the end of the game? When they're, uh, everybody, we might have lost or we might have struggled. Well, the coach would get down here, say, gathering guys, let's, let's talk a little bit about what happened. You know, Johnny, you know, you uh, could have done better. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, quit eating so many snacks. Well, okay. You know what I'm saying? And so you think about like, you think about Jesus came near. So he had spent three years with his disciples and now he's risen from the dead. He comes, all right, guys, come here, come here. I want you to talk for a second. You got the, you got the snacks, come on. He says, all authority. I don't think he's preaching this. I think he's like, guys, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And so at that, we read past that in the church. Oh, that's just so sterile. But when the disciples heard this, they're like, what, what the? Like, heaven and earth now belong to me. I control everything. I'm going to listen to this guy, right? If somebody comes to you and says, all heaven and earth are under my control, pay attention to the next few words, okay? So then what he says, go, the actual translation is as you go, therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you these last three years. You know what you're doing. You got this. I'm with you always. You're not going alone even to the ends of the age. And so this is known as the Great Commission. And so many of you have heard this many times, but you still can't define what a disciple is. And so this is what I mean. I want to make sure we have a clarity around what the church is and what our mission is so that we can carry it out. Right? Who wants to, on the last day, say, hear from the Lord, well done, good and faithful servant? I, I do. To, to be able to hear that, you have to understand the rules and the and the, the rules of the game of what you're in here. So, uh, uh, the Great Commission commission is literally a command or a mandate. But what is this telling us to do? Well, the the smart person in here would say, "Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them." Right? But somehow, we've made the Great Commission into this command to go and make as many disciples as we can in as many different places as we can. That sounds pretty good, right? 
I'm going to go into my work, my school. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to make as many disciples. I made 75 disciples this year. I've done all these things. But that's not the command, is it? That wasn't the command. But church is kind of like, kind of gotten this, we kind of blunted the tip of this spear a little bit. We kind of, I'm just going to go to every country I can think of. I'm going to go to every opportunity. Oh, you have an opportunity here. I'm going to go there because God must be opening this door. I'm going to do all these. So, but that's not what the Great Commission said. The Great Commission is not a general command to make disciples among as many people as possible. The Great Commission is a very specific command to make disciples among all nations. Do you see that? Do you see why we have such a laser focus on the unreached? So let's read this again. Verse 19, what does it say? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. You read that, you got to understand it. So I'm going to break this down for you. We've done this in here before. I'm going to do it a little bit different this time. There's a subject, there's an imperative verb. You're like, what is an imperative verb? Well, an imperative verb, I'm not, a, I'm not, a, uh, I, I'm not an English guy, so I had to look this up. So you're safe if you're like me. So an imperative verb, is it gives a command to a person being addressed. It's a command. Do this, right? And so I read this, and it's, you read this, go and make disciples of all nations. So it is assumed that the, the go is talking about you. You go, right? The subject is you. You go, make up many disciples of all nations. And so you think the imperative verb, the imperative verb, reading this in the English is what? To make. You make what? Disciples. And that's how we've read this for many, 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 many years. You go make disciples. Make disciples at your home. Make disciples in your church. Make disciples in the highways and the byways. Wow, well, that's a great idea. It's wonderful. That's not, it's a good thing, but it's not what, what the Bible commands us, right? But an actual translation of the phrase, make disciples, will change how you see this command. Because the phrase, make disciples, is actually one word in the Greek. It's methatuo is what, it's, what it's, is what the Greek word is. It literally means to, to disciple. And you're like, well, duh. But this changes the imperative verb to disciple, and, and it changes the direct object to what? All nations. So you read it like it's meant to be read. A better understanding of the Great Commission is you disciple all nations. And so I read them, man, what? So when you read the Great Commission like this, and when, it was, when you put it up against the God story that we saw last week, and God's original purpose was leading us to Revelation 7, 9 and 10, where all peoples from all the earth would be around the throne worshiping and praising God in all of his glory. And then you put it up against Jesus' final words on earth, Acts 1, 8, it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we get this picture. We start seeing this clear picture that the mission of God for his church is that we would multiply his glory throughout the earth. So the mission is clear. The problem is we haven't been reading it and understanding it and applying it to our life. In the church. And I think what's happened, the mission is clear, but it's our fear, it's our agendas that complicate it and that cloud it. And we sort of rearrange it and rewrite the mission accordingly. Uh, yeah, I just don't want, I just, I just, I'm, I'm going to just, I'm going I'm to be a good husband, be a good wife, be a good dad, 
teach them how to be nice. And so instead of having God-centered, missional families, we have good families who have good character and are nice to their neighbors and are responsible, have good character. And all that's wonderful, but it might not be godly because we're not following God's mission for our life, right? So I'm reading this, and I'm seeing that all of human history, your life, your grandparents' life, your great-great-great-grandparents' life, your ancestors' lives, my life, our life, is moving toward the completion of one mission, right? God gathering for himself worshipers from every tribe, nation, and tongue. Therefore, your role, my role, the church's role is to see people from every nation brought into the kingdom to enjoy and exalt God in all his glory. This is how God has chosen to carry out his redemptive plan, using the church, us, to carry his gospel to where it's not. So the church is God's only plan to reach the world. Oh, somebody else will do it. If I don't do it, somebody else will do it, right? No, the, the church was started to accomplish the mission. So a church that's not on task with God's mission makes zero biblical sense and is kind of silly. Because we're just, we're just hanging out, bro. I'm doing this to make myself feel good, not to live on mission and obedience to God. The church only exists because there is a mission. When the mission is over, guess what? The church... It's going to be in the presence of Christ, and our job's going to be done. We don't need to make any more disciples then because we'll be in God's presence. That's why he says, come and enter your rest. And as we look at Scripture, when, I, when it comes to the mission of God, Acts is so instructive, right? And, but few chapters really have as much insight as Acts 13 and 14. At the beginning of Acts 13, if you have your Bibles, Acts 13 is where we're going to be starting we see the church in Antioch, prompted by the Holy Spirit, have they sent out Paul and Barnabas, right? And so what we see, my question is, was the mission of the church in Antioch any different from the church in Jerusalem? No. Was, it any, was the mission of the church in Antioch any different from Connection Church Rinkin? No, it's the same. It's the same. So let's read this. Now in the church at Antioch, this was in Syria, there are prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who's called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean, a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. All those names are are important, but we're not going to study that today. Verse 2, as they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after they had fasted, prayed, and laid hands on them, they sent them off. And so this is the first time that we see a church intentionally sending out Christian workers with the gospel to another location. So we see that we, see, we can see a model for the church and how God sends out workers to areas where there are no gospel-centered churches, where there is no gospel. We see this in Romans 15. Paul says in Romans 15, verse 20, he says, My aim is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named, so that I would not build on someone else's foundation. So basically, Paul's goal was to go to where the gospel was not, because he took the Great Commission to disciple all nations seriously. And this is why our mission is to make disciples. Literally, our church's mission, if you go on our website, any kind of documentation around here, you'll see Connection Church Rinkin exists to make disciples and multiply churches among all nations because we think this is a biblical mandate. We think to not do that is disobedience. 
So like the church in Antioch, we want to see people who are members of this church grow up to maturity, forego their comforts, forego their fears, and carry the gospel to places where it's not. Because we believe it's worth it. And another thing we see plainly here is, is God instructing who? Did, did God say, did the Holy Spirit say, Paul and Barnabas, I'm calling you out, go to the nations. And then they come to the church and they say, hey, Michael, I just feel like I'm called to the nations, I should probably go. No, the church called out Paul and Barnabas because the Holy Spirit had instructed the church to send out its own. So one day soon, Eric or myself or somebody else was like, hey, you know, listen, uh, God's been kind of praying, uh, I got something to tell you, uh, I think you need to go. And they're like, what? Be open to it. Another thing we see is the church's responsibility to equip people for the mission and then send them out for the completion of the mission. Right? Let's keep going. So, well, one thing we can see is the definition of missions here, right? Missions can be defined as taking the gospel where it's not. So at Connection, we define missions as great commission fulfillment. So going to places the gospel already exists is not missions in our strategies. It's outreach, it's we can go help people, but the gospel already is already there. So missions is defined as taking the gospel where it's not. That's the mission, right? And so and I want to just keep reading verse 4, read 4 to 12. I'm going to throw this map up too also. This, this is uh, Paul's, no, nope, another one. Sorry, I got them out of order. I forgot to tell you about that. Um, this is uh, Paul's first missionary journey. This is the map we're going to be taking today. We're going to go on a journey. This is the map, okay? We're going to look at this more in a minute, but I want to go through these verses really quick. Verse 4. So, so being sent out, Paul and Barnabas, by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. From there, they sailed to Cyprus, arriving in Salamis. They proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues, right? Because of the first, the Jew, right? They also had John, this was John Mark, who wrote the book of Mark, as their assistant. When they had traveled the whole island as far as Paphos, they came across a sorcerer, a Jewish false prophet named I love how they call him a false prophet from the beginning. I love it. Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. It literally means son of Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. The man summoned Barnabas and saw and wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, that is the meaning of his name. So Elymas literally means sorcerer. It's a, it's a nickname. So people would just call him, hey, sorcerer, come over here. Right? Uh, they, the, Elymas opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Paul and Paul also called, Saul also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, stared him down straight at Elymas and said, you are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery, you son of the devil, and enemy of all that is right. Won't you ever stop perverting the straight paths of the Lord? That's not very politically correct, is it? I, I don't see PC culture in the Bible. But anyway, verse 11, now look at the Lord's hand is against you. You are going to be blind and you will not see the sun for a time. Immediately a mist and darkness fell on him. And he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then he saw, then when he saw what had happened, the proconsul believed because he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. The proconsul was not astonished by the miracle that just happened to his sorcerer. The proconsul was astonished by the word of God. Now, I love this map. I want to show this map real quick. This is, this is where Paul and Barnabas was sent. He, they were sent out from Antioch. Antioch's on the right. There's also Antioch at the top. We're going to look at that in a minute. But Antioch is on the right side. We see him going down to Salamis, to Paphos, that island of Cyprus, going up 
And so we're going to look at how, we're going to follow his journey together this morning. But we see this missionary team travel to Seleucia, to, to Cyprus. And then we see in verse 13 to 41, I'm going to summarize this for you. They sail to, they sail to Perga, they go there, and, they, and they, they go into the Jewish synagogue, and they sit and they listen to what's being taught, and they just kind of slip in. And then the, the, the priests were like, hey, come share a word of encouragement with us, right? Because we see that you're here from out of town, and we, we, we see that you're teachers. And so they ask, they ask Paul to preach, and so Paul starts where he needs to start. He starts in Israel's time in Egypt. He goes from Israel's time in Egypt and leads them all the way to the gospel, right? And so he goes, and he tries, he tries showing them that Israel's history is leading to who? Jesus. But, God had, but, but Israel had rejected Jesus literally by crucifying him, right? But God had fulfilled his covenant to Israel by raising Jesus from the dead, and, it, and it's only through Jesus that they find salvation. We can even see this in verse 39 where he states, literally says, everyone who believes is justified through Jesus from everything that you could not be justified from through the law of Moses. Let's keep reading. Let's start in verse 42. They move on. As they were leaving, the people urged them to speak about the, these matters the following Sabbath. Come back. I, the word, whoa. Man, have you ever read the Bible and you're just like, I just want to eat it. Like, so good. It's so refreshing. I need more of it. Please just get in here. I need more of the word. Anybody ever been there? For a few of us, we'll start a Bible study. Okay, cool. But those of you that have never done that, it may be because you have understood this. These are the words of life. They were like, please come back. Please come back. And so after the synagogue had been dismissed, many of the Jews and the devout converts of Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who were speaking with them and urging them to continue in the grace of God. Verse 44, they were hungry. The following Sabbath, a week later, almost the whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. Like the whole town came. Think about that. We're going to come and we're going to, the entire city of Rinkin is going to come and we're going to hear the gospel. Think about what that's like. Man. Let's just, let's just share the word. But when the Jews, the religious leaders, saw the crowds, they were filled with what? Jealousy. And began to contradict what Paul was saying, insulting him. Paul and Barnabas boldly replied, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, but since you've rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we are turning to the Gentiles. Because what did God say in the very beginning? What was the gospel for? All what? Nations. The word Gentiles in the, in the Greek is ethnos. Where do we get our word ethnic groups from? Ethnos, Gentiles, the nations. It says, I have, for, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you, Israel, a light for the who? The nations, the Gentiles, to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So Paul understood God's mandate to take the gospel to the nations where it was not. It goes on. When the Gentiles heard this, they what? Rejoice and honor the word of the Lord. And all who had been appointed to eternal life believed there was fruit. The word of the Lord spread throughout the region, but the Jews incited prominent God-framed women and leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their district. But Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. Man, it's awesome, man. This is what the church was meant to do. We're excited about this. We're taking the gospel where it's not. Persecution comes, great, whatever. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. So Paul and Barnabas were rejected by the Jews, and they move on to Iconium. They rejoiced even in rejection. And we saw last week that God's intention was to bless all nations through Abraham, and Jesus came through the line of Abraham, fulfilling this prophecy. 
And then let's look in 14, verses 1 to 7. In Iconium, they entered the Jewish synagogue as usual. Remember the Jews first? And spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Gentiles, Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they stayed there a long time and spoke boldly for the Lord, who testified to the message of his grace by enabling them to do signs and wonders. Don't get too nervous. It's okay. It's biblical. Verse 4. But the people of the city were what? Divided. Some siding with the Jews and others with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, they found out about it and fled to Laotian towns of Lystra and Derbe and to the surrounding countryside. There they continued preaching the gospel. So persecution pushed them to smaller towns outside of Iconium, but it didn't hinder or stop the mission. Guess what? Circumstances don't matter. Circumstances didn't matter. They preached the gospel everywhere they went because they understood God's mission and command. They said, I believe in Jesus. The gospel has made me new. Therefore, I must do what Jesus says. So I'm going to follow him on his mission. And so they preached these things. Then they come to the city of Lystra. And in Lystra, there were no synagogues. So God does a miracle through Paul. He heals this man. And so the people in Lystra believe that they are, are, are the gods of Zeus and Hermes. Because what happened in Lystra, many years before this, the city was destroyed. And they believed it was destroyed because Hermes and Zeus had come down to visit the city. The Greek gods had come down to visit the city. And the people didn't recognize them. So the Greek gods destroyed the city. That's not what happened. That's what they thought happened, right? So now they were looking at Paul and Barnabas as their gods who had performed this miracle. They're like, this must be Paul and Barnabas. We've got to worship them. Let's sacrifice the fatted calf to them. We've got to sacrifice to these people. But Paul and Barnabas tore their clothes. They were horrified. And they began to beg them, like, turn from your idolatry and turn to the one true God. That's why we're here. And they start, they start with their worldview, right? And they work towards the gospel. Acts 14, 15 says, we are proclaiming good news to you. Turn to the Lord. Turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Begging them to come to faith. Then some Jews, this is, this is what gets me. Some Jews from Antioch and Iconium, where they had just left, walk 100 miles. I don't like driving 100 miles. This is too long. These suckers walked 100 miles just to discredit the missionary team's message. What in the world, bro? Like, get a life. Do something different, right? So the crowd stones Paul. And the Bible says that Paul was laying there as though dead. And you can kind of interpret that how you want. But I, if I'm looking at a dude that's, ah, he, he did, right? He's, so the disciples come around him and pray over him and bring him out of the city. And he, guess what he does? He goes back into the city. In the world. I'm, I'm sitting here like, for most of us in this room, like, this would be the last straw. You know, I'm, I'm going home. These people aren't listening to me. They, they're crazy. They believe, in, I, I, they're not, they, they just stoned me. They just tried to kill me. I'm going home. You can have all this. Right? Everybody in this room be like, <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on that boat, out of town. Paul walks back in the city because he believed the gospel and the command of Jesus was more important than his own life. More important than the life of his friends. Is the gospel that important to you and me? Let's keep reading in verse 21. 
after they had preached the gospel in that town, in Derby, and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, probably not the smartest idea, to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the disciples by encouraging them to continue in the faith by telling them, it is necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. I can imagine Paul telling them this with like scars on his face from being stoned. Like, big rock hits you in the face, you're going to be, you're going to have a mark, right? It's like, it's necessary for you to go through hardships for the gospel. In the world, like, I believe this man. They appointed elders for them in every church. They went through this, can we go back to the map? So on their way back to Antioch, they stopped at each place they had gone and preached and made disciples. They stopped, checked on the churches that they had started, appointed elders, and then moved back to their home church in Antioch. I love this. They prayed and fasted. They committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They passed through Pisidia and Pamphylia, revisited those church plants. This is why we plant churches. We believe healthy churches make disciples. Healthy disciples plant churches. After they had spoken the word in Perga, they went on to Italia. From there, they sailed back to Antioch, to the place where they were commissioned, on that right side, Antioch over there. They sailed back from where they were commissioned to the grace of God for the work that had what? What's the, that had now been completed. Do you see that? Can we put that verse on the screen? Verse 26. From there, they sailed back to Antioch where they had been commended, commissioned to the grace of God for the work that they had now completed. Have you ever felt like anything has been completed while you've gone to church? You ever felt that sense of completion? Oh, I did my job. I have my bets. But I'm telling you, we have a mission to complete. And we're going to look at this deeper in just a second. So they return home, and they report to the church all that God did. If you were here last year, we sent a team to Thailand. We're doing that again in July. We sent a team to the Dominican Republic. We sent teams to Engage Global. And most of the time, we bring those people on stage to tell you what happened on these trips. Because you are not just the spectators in a church. You are the members of the body. <coughs> and you're called to be a part of the mission. We're going to look at that in two seconds. So we see throughout Acts and the rest of the New Testament that the church took the Great Commission very seriously, and so ought we. And as I read this, I want you to see that the mission of making disciples and planting churches should be something that every church member in this room and every church across the world is radically invested in. This is the DNA of Connection Church Rinkin. If you don't think this is biblical, find another church because this, this is where we're going. Because this is what the Bible says, man. This is where we're going. And our mission is to make disciples and multiply churches among all nations. Every single thing we do is going to revolve around seeing that happen. We, we start our services every week. This morning, Eric, I wasn't in here, but I'm pretty sure you prayed for the Reach People Group. Right? Your children in the back right now are learning. There's unreached people groups in the world. Let's pray for them. Guess what? You probably hate me for this. I'm praying your children will grow up and be the missionaries that we send out. Scary, right? I have two four-year-olds. I'm terrified of that, but I, I may just move with them. Like, hey, take, take your old dad with you, right? Our connect groups, we pray for the unreached people groups every week. Our vision, our vision, where we're going, where God's taking us, we believe that God, we're praying that God would allow us to reach 500 people in Rinkin and around the world with the gospel by 2026. We have a very specific vision. 
by, we want to do this by sending out another church plant team. We've already sent out one church plant to Richmond Hill. Who's next? Right? We want to see our first missionary team sent out to reach an unreached people group. This is not something that's going to take months. It's going to take years. And as we just saw in Acts 13 and 14, this is not just the missionary, but the whole church that is a part of the mission. The goer that goes to overseas is just a leg of the bigger wheel, right? The church is called to go. The missionaries may be the goers, but the whole church has a role to play in sending and going. And so as I read this, I'm looking at the missionaries coming back. And so what I see, this mission that has now been completed, what Paul and Barbara said, what I see is this theme in this passage is success in the mission of God is more tied to obedience than anything else. Do you think Paul felt successful when he was getting pelted with rocks in the face? Probably not. He probably felt like, I just want to go home. I just want to go back to my comfort zone where I can control all the things. Success in missions is more about obedience than anything. And the Bible tells us what the mission is. You and me don't get to define the terms. If Jesus is my Lord, the Bible says in Philippians, <clears throat> and throughout scripture that one day, how many knees will bow? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So that doesn't mean, hey, Lord, I have this cool mission that I think I've been called. I think I've been called to go. No, listen, you've been called to disciple the nations. Go get to work. Be a submissive servant. That's what I pray. God, Lord, if I ever get out of line, humble me. He's done it. My wife can tell you he's done it plenty of times. The Bible tells us what the mission is. We're called to obey the command to go where the gospel is not, and we give our lives to see every nation know the gospel and worship Jesus. And it blows my mind that this has not preached in more churches. And in talking about the role and mission of the church, we're not just trying to list off some good things that the Christians should do to love their neighbors and to be salt and light of the earth. The question is, you know, what must we be about as a church, as God's people, if we're going to faithfully accomplish his purposes on the world, in the world? What happens in the American culture sometimes is we've taken something that was never meant to be about us, and we've made it about us. And it's sad. Remember last week we said when you're, when you've res when you're being rescued from the mission field, you're placed on the mission team. Remember that? And get but what happens, as soon as we turn that focus outward to inward to be about us and about you, we begin to die spiritually. Because we remove ourselves from the purposes for which we were created. And I'm telling you right now, the local church is God's tool for the completion of the Great Commission. And it's the local church's role to, to equip and to send missionaries, goers, to be completers of the Great Commission. So the question shouldn't be, who is called to go? The question should be, who will go? Because we're all called. Look, now who's going to do it? Raise your hand. I'm just kidding. We're all called. We just have different roles. Every person in this room has a role in fulfilling the Great Commission. You may be a mobilizer. 
You may be a mobilizer. Maybe you're connecting people to God's purposes. Maybe you have a gift of teaching, a gift of you can just, you, have a, you can invest in people's lives and raise them up and send them out. Hey, you need to be on this Thailand trip. You need to sign up for Engage Global in September because I, want, I need you to hear about this stuff, mobilizing them for the mission of God. You have a keen sense of people who are on the sidelines and that need to get into the game. Maybe you're a mobilizer. Maybe you're an intercessor. You're praying on behalf of the unreached and also for the people we send. Well, maybe you're like, well, hey, isn't all people supposed to be, isn't the whole church supposed to be praying? Yes, all the people in the church are supposed to be praying together for the mission, yes. But these people are very laser-focused in praying and organizing prayer time, organizing these moments. Maybe you're a welcomer. There are many, many, many unreached people groups that are represented in Savannah. We have partners that we partner with in Savannah to reach these people. You have to drive 20 minutes to reach an unreached people group. That takes away the whole inconvenience thing out of your repertoire of excuses. Maybe you're called to reach the nations that have come to us. Maybe you are supposed to go. Maybe your life situation is set up where you can go. Plant churches within unreached people groups where the church doesn't exist. Maybe you're a sender. Every person in this church should be a sender. We give our money. We give our time. We give all of our talents to see the people sent out from here. And I want to tell you this morning that God uses his church, the entire church, to equip and send his people to see his glory go to all nations. And I want to tell you this morning, a church that is not on mission is biblically weird. It's weird. A, ch a church member that's not invested in the mission is out of alignment. Well, why? I want to give you three fast things. The first thing, the reason why, the first thing is God's mission is specific. You don't have to be like, well, what's God's will? I don't know what God's will is. It's so, it's so hard to understand. No, Jesus' command to disciple the nations is clear throughout Scripture. Remember we said Jesus didn't generally, Jesus didn't die generally for a lot of people in the world. Jesus died specifically for people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Right? Therefore, Jesus didn't command his church to go generally to a lot of people. Jesus commanded his church to go specifically to every people group in the world. So the Great Commission will be completed when disciples have been made and churches have been multiplied among every people group. Wouldn't it be cool to reach an unreached people group? All of a sudden, the clouds open up. You're the last one to reach an unreached people group. And you're like, oh, this is great. Great Commission's been completed. You'd be the most arrogant person in heaven. It's about Jesus. The second thing, one, God's mission is specific. The second thing, God's mission is measurable. God's mission is measurable. It's accomplishable. Like Paul and Barnabas came back and they reported all that God had done in Seleucia, Salamis, Paphos, Perga, Italia, Lystra, Derby, and Iconium. Disciples were being made, churches were planted, elders were appointed, the mission had been completed in that area. So Paul moved on to the next place that had no gospel access. So in the Bible, we see Paul going on three missionary journeys, a little further, a little further, a little further, to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth, to the ends of the earth, right? We see this happening throughout Scripture. So disciples were made. Well, how is the church doing this today? How is the church doing with the mission today? Let me tell you, there's a, this is where the other map comes in. I, I messed up with the placement. Sorry. So pretty soon this is going to be on that back wall back there. So you can't miss it every time you leave and come in. But this is what we call a 1040 window. In that little rectangle, there are 5.27 billion people living in that small little section of the world. 
Anybody know how many people there are living in the entire world? A little over 8, a little over eight billion, I think. Maybe more than that now. I don't know. So we see, we see within that square, there are 3.37 billion people that we consider unreached or unengaged. They have no gospel, they have no Bible, they have no Christian, no church, nothing to be able to give them access to Jesus. That's 7,400 people groups out of the 17,000 in the world. That 3.37 billion people is 42% of the world's population. And they're currently unreached by the gospel and on a road that will lead them to hell. And I want to be very blunt with you this morning, because I've heard this question asked, why would God send people who have never heard about the gospel to hell? That's such a self-centered question because it takes responsibility off of you. The real question is why would we, who have the gospel, not do everything we can to go to take it to them? My Lord. And here's the scary part, man. I look at this and I look at, this is a, just a couple marbles. We're going to do a little, little, little math lesson today, but I'm going to show you like, the scariest metric for me is that churches are spending approximately 99% of their missions resources in places that already have the gospel. So that means the churches around this country and the world are spending 99% all the resources on places that already have a church, already have a Christian, already have a Bible, and they're spending 1% of their resources in places that have no gospel access. Does that seem off to you? It just blows my mind. Like, this is bad. Something that's even scarier for me as I read and study and think and look through this, like, today there are approximately 400,000 missionaries who have been sent out from churches and out of those 400,000 missionaries that have been sent out to ch from churches around the world, only 3% of those go to places that don't have a gospel, don't have a Bible, don't have a Christian, don't have a church. So my question is, how are these people going to hear unless we go on this pen? This to me, I, and, this, and this may just be my opinion, but this right here is insanity. Or this is a reflection of the selfishness in the church. And that's just a hard truth. I love everybody in this room. You can hate me if you want to. That's just what it is. And I look at this, man. The number of unreached people groups in the world whenever we planted this church was 3.2 billion people. Today, it's 3.37 billion people. Do you see the, the problem? The number of unreached people groups now is higher than it has ever been before and will continue to increase until Christians and churches decide to change how we use our resources. So unless something changes, more people than ever in history will go to hell without ever hearing about how they could have gone to heaven. And I'm thinking about this and reading about this, and this is why Connection Church Rankin's mission focus will always be on places that have no gospel access. 
This is why we ask Heart and Soul members to be generous with their time, their money, their talents, because we want to see the mission carried out. Because we believe that we're called to equip and to send, but then support those who are willing to go. And the last thing is we close, man. It's the third thing is God's mission is attainable. Jesus didn't leave his church with a mission that couldn't be carried out. You ever given your children something to do that they couldn't do? That would be me. But G listen, Matthew 24, 14. This is Jesus. The good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all nations. And then what? Then will come. So Jesus didn't leave his church with a, a mission that couldn't be carried out, but he did leave us a mission that would be impossible without him. And I think that's why we see 99% of our resources going to places that are reached, because this is easy. This is comfortable. I don't have to worry about getting stoned here. These are open countries. It's good. I'm still, I'm still making disciples. Jesus is being glorified. But what about the people, the 3.37 billion people, the 42% of the world has never heard? What about them? And we will never be faithful to our calling as a church without a complete and all-out surrender to Jesus. And so if you're here this morning, you're holding on to your life. If you're holding on to your money for retirement, I got a fat retirement coming. I got this, I got this. If you're holding on to your schedule, your time, if you're holding on to your family, you will never be free to see who God's created you to be. The enemy has, has so many believers in this mental bondage to the point where they are blind to who they are called to be. And he's tempted them to live in a place of doing things in replacement of who they're called to be. And it's not hard to see that the church is suffering from this enormous identity crisis. But too many, like too many people are begging God to show them their purpose. And God is saying, you have to understand who you are first. You have to understand you're a son, you're a daughter to understand what I'm calling you to do because you'll never go. You'll never go after what I've called you to do until you understand who I've called you to be. Some of you, like Paul and Barnabas, are called to go. It's called to be sent out by the church. But you're so lost in fear, so lost in pride, so lost in oppression that you might not be able to discern that. Maybe God is calling you to freedom today. Some of us have been lost in religion for so long that you can't see your way out. You don't even understand God's mission. It's for every church member, not just a few. Some of us may be in a place where we've been to church for a while in our, our, our whole life, but we've never turned our lives over to Jesus. Maybe today is that day. And this is what the Lord really placed in my heart this week as I was praying for you and praying for this message and trying to figure out what the Lord wanted me to speak is is maybe you know the gospel this morning, but it's never been personalized for you. A lot of us are depending on a gospel that you know about. I know the facts of the gospel. I know Jesus came and lived a life. He perfect. He, was, he died on a cross. He was buried. He was resurrected. He came back. He sent his disciples out on the Great Commission. But guess what? Believing those facts won't save you. You're like, wait a minute, doesn't the Bible, doesn't the Bible say believe and confess and, you'll, and you just say those things and you'll be saved? That's not what the Bible says. That's not the whole of the situation. The Bible teaches that believing the facts of the gospel are for you is what saves you. That Jesus came and lived a perfect life for you. That's what saves you. That Jesus came and lived a perfect life for you and died a death for you and rose again for you. That's what saves you. 
And so this morning, I just want to pray for you. Would you just close your eyes, bow your heads for a moment, right where you're at? Maybe this morning you've never personalized the gospel. Maybe this morning is the first time you've ever wrestled with the great commission being a call to go to all nations. Maybe this morning you're wrestling with a calling that maybe God's got in your life to, to be a goer, to be a sinner, to be deeper in the, the mission of, of God in this church. I pray that you wouldn't leave today without finding a, a prayer team member on this wall over here coming to this altar for a few minutes after service. Kevin's going to play for a few minutes after service as, as we leave quietly. If you want to come and pray, have some time for you and the Lord, we're going to do that. But right now, I just want to say this morning, if you, hey, if you, if you believe the facts of the gospel, but you've never believed the gospel for yourself, you're saying, hey, this morning, Michael, the first time, today's the first time I've ever heard this. Today's the first time I've ever put my faith in Jesus in a way where I believed it was for me and not for somebody else. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he came and lived a perfect life for me. I believe he rose again for me. I believe he's coming back one day for me because I'm now a family member. If that's you this morning, will you just boldly lift your hand and say, Michael, that's me this morning. I believe it this morning that Jesus came for me and I want to turn my life over to him right now in Jesus' name. Is there anybody in this room? done running. I'm done playing with my pride. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. How you can know Jesus is after you right now is your heart's racing a thousand miles an hour. You don't know what to do right now. You're feeling awkward. Satan's lying to you saying, everybody's going to know you raised your hand. I, I got a message for you. In the light of eternity, it doesn't matter. It's about you and Jesus. Is that you this morning? If it's not, if you've been a Christian your whole life and you've been playing with religion, been playing the church game, maybe you've done it for 50 years, I don't care. Today is a new day. God's given you a new day. His mercies are new every morning. Just pray that you would sit at your seat for a moment. Come to this altar and just say some prayers of repentance, of thankfulness. God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for putting me on a mission. Especially this morning, don't leave this room without getting that right. I'm going to pray for you and we're going to dismiss. But I want to give you an opportunity to have a time between you and the Lord. We're not going to have announcements. We're not going to do any of that. We're just going to pray. We're just going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. I want you to have this time between you and the Lord. Just search your heart. Where does he, where does he lead us? Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for all that you've done, all that you are. God, I pray that you would just not let us be comfortable until we are in alignment with your mission, Jesus. God, I pray that we would just submit to you, God, our pride. God, our oppression, God, the things that we, God, we just may be feeling defeated in here this morning because we, we may be getting older, God, and our, we may have not have seen some of these things this morning, God, and we don't want to change our hearts or our lives, God, now because we've already set up our life in the ways that we think it should go, God. But I pray for a submissive spirit, a, a humble spirit, a, and a, uh, to fall over this place, God, in every heart, including me, God, that we would be a church that is submissive to your mission. God, give us a heart for what you've called us to. Give us a heart for the nations. Give us a laser focus. And give us an uncommon supernatural unity around the mission that you called us to as a church. God, the days are few. Our days are numbered on this earth. God, I pray that we would use them well. We worship you. We adore you in Jesus' name. Amen. This time is yours. If you need to go, just ask that you leave quietly.